Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. you for checking out the podcast please rate the podcast please subscribe to the podcast and now the podcast and joining us on the phone right now jonathan allward prairie director of the canadian federation of independent business jonathan good afternoon good afternoon hal i was just checking the calendar we're coming up on uh on the end of the month, and uh, let's start with commercial rent. That uh, are we seeing more landlords buying into that, or or is it still pretty tough for landlords to to eat that uh, uh, that what is it twenty five percent or or whatever that they would have to eat in order to uh, help tenants pay their rent? Yeah, I think we're starting to see a few more apply for the the first three months. Uh, as you know, the the months for April, May, and June, the subsidies have to be in by the end of August. So hopefully we'll start to see even a few more uh, filter in by the end of the month uh, before that deadline. But I think across the country, Manitoba is no exception, really people aren't participating in the program because it's very expensive for landlords to do. The drop test for uh, the tenants as well is very, very high. And we've been asking the federal government to uh, make some significant changes to the program to make it more accessible. And to get out that 50% uh, rent subsidy to those small businesses that need it without their landlords uh, being forced to participate. And I know you've been lobbying hard. Why are the feds uh, holding off on making a change? Because it's obvious the program is not appealing to landlords, and they're the ones that have to apply here. Yeah, I'd, it's a good question. At the end of the day, we're we're not giving up. You know, And we know that the program has certainly you know very much underspent how much money was allocated to it um, and now we're, we're starting to work with provinces to get them to, to speak up on the issue as well I know uh, in Saskatchewan uh, the Minister of Finance there has been uh, very vocal about the federal government's need to make some significant changes to the program to make it uh, more helpful for the small businesses that need it um, and I expect we'll see some other provinces in the very near future speaking up for that as well. Uh, but time's running out. Uh, as you know, it's been extended twice, but even for the months of July and August, those deadlines have to be in in just over three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Um, switching gears here, unless there's something you wanted to add on that front, but I, I do want to switch gears, and if you want to add something, just go for it, uh, Jonathan. But um, let's talk a little bit about uh, especially businesses out in the uh, uh, Prairie Mountain Health Region, which includes Brandon and, and Dauphin. You've got members out there, Canadian Federation of Independent Business Members. How are they dealing uh, with the masks and mandatory masks and the rules around that? Uh, because we're hearing of some upset customers, some people not wanting to wear a mask, uh, you know, causing a bit of a, a problem when asked to. Not a whole bunch of cases of it, but I'm curious to know what you're hearing from your members. Yeah, to be honest, and, and fortunately, I haven't heard any concerns yet that they've had, you know, un- unruly customers or people that are being unreasonable. I think, by and large, most people understand why that has to happen, especially right now in that area of the province. Um, and I, I just hope that everyone complies with the rules and that we can get the the number of active cases under control there as quickly as possible, because... Most business owners I've talked to, whether or not they're in downtown Winnipeg or out in Brandon, everywhere in between, um, they can't afford 
to face these kind of restrictions that we saw, you know, in March and April again. You know, they've already taken out as much as they can in loans. They've already done everything in their uh, power financially to try and keep their business afloat, and they just can't afford for something like that to hit their business again. So I hope that everyone complies. Um, Every business owner I've talked to takes the safety very seriously, not only other customers, but other staff as well, and that's another important piece. Uh, I hope everyone uh, who goes to shop is, is respectful of the safety of staff too. Is there concern amongst your members and, and you as well that what's happening in Prairie Mountain, in Brandon, uh, and areas in Prairie Mountain might happen here? And obviously that would be devastating, I would imagine. It, it would be. And, you know, I, I think everyone's concerned about that, certainly. But that's why I think also the, the province's new pandemic response system is, is a good step to try and um, focus on this by region or by community. I think you could even do it by sector to make sure that not everyone in Manitoba has to close down to get the number of active cases uh, down and under control and really flatten that curve again. I think that's worked pretty effectively in other parts of the country so far, and uh, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But again, as Dr. Rusin's been saying, we need to be uh, you know, vigilant and practice all the things that have helped us uh, flatten the curve once already and get back to that because uh, I know our businesses cannot afford uh, widespread uh, restrictions again, as we saw earlier in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I saw a, uh, I'm not sure who tweeted it out, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, from your organization, the CFIB, uh, saying to keep in mind that, you know, yes, you might be nervous and and you don't have to necessarily walk through the front door of a business to, to support that business. There are other ways. And I think that's important to remind people that uh, maybe they are, you know, concerned about the spike in numbers. They're staying closer to home. That's great. But there are ways to support businesses. Yeah, that's exactly how. I mean, I think when you think about, you know, shopping online, everyone thinks of Amazon or your big box retailers. There are so many small businesses with a good online presence, and you can even just give them a call or send them an email. You're still going to get that excellent customer service you're used to if it's a retail shop. Um, You can still order out from your favorite restaurants. Everywhere in between, uh, you can do it safely. Um, Just always think local when you're going out to, to shop now, I think it's really critically important that we support those businesses that really are the drivers of our economy. Am I missing anything, Jonathan? Any other messages or, or words that you want to get out there? I, I appreciate that, Hal. I would encourage anyone listening to uh, visit uh, smallbusinesseveryday.ca. You can find out how you can support small businesses here in Manitoba, elsewhere in the country. You can also find out about other great local initiatives to support small businesses. And you can also find out how the economic recovery is going in Manitoba and elsewhere in the country. Uh, it's far from business as usual. Many are still struggling to survive, so we really need to make a conscious effort to go out and support local right now. Mm-hmm. Hey, before I let you go, let me ask you something. You know, there are so many, and listen, we have to look hard. This is a pandemic. People are getting sick and people are dying. Don't get me wrong. It's it's a horrible situation to be in, but... In looking for silver linings, I'm curious to know if you are seeing more people reaching out to you and seeing the value of being involved in an organization like yours in tough times like this. Because I even just anecdotally have talked to people that I know that have reached out to your organization and other organizations like the CFIB 
wanting help. Maybe they weren't members in the past, didn't feel they needed that help, and now they're realizing just how valuable an organization like yours can be and the lobbying that the organization can do on their behalf in government. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, we've we've felt uh, very valued by our, our members, certainly. It's been kind of overwhelming and you know, we've we've been trying to uh, match the work ethic of all of our members to, who are still struggling to see their businesses through the pandemic. We've been trying to meet that same intensity in, in the help that we're offering. It's, you know, tens of thousands of calls we've been uh, uh, answering from concerned businesses across the country, whether it's updating our website uh, within the hour of things changing for provincial programs. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, we have been feeling that love, certainly, but... Uh, you know, it, there, there are a lot of other positives, too. There's so many businesses that have been innovative. There are so many that are doing well that have been giving back to other businesses or finding ways to donate to local charities. Um, you know, businesses pivoting to, to uh, make masks for people or hand sanitizer. We saw a lot of, um, you know, alcohol producers earlier on in the pandemic mm-hmm. doing that. Uh, there are no shortage of, of good news stories out there, and uh, we're just pleased to uh, to see that some small businesses have valued what we bring to the table. Absolutely. Jonathan, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it today. Thanks, Al. Anytime. More broken glass, more burned buildings, more looted stores, and more damaged vehicles. Even with the addition of more than 100 members of the National Guard, Kenosha police could not prevent widespread damage across the city. Many times demonstrators clashing with police, shooting fireworks and throwing bottles and bricks while defying the city's overnight curfew. Ryan Burrow, ABC News. Second night in a row of rioting and damage in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And we're going to talk about that situation with Global News Senior National Affairs Correspondent Eric Sorensen. Now, Eric, good afternoon. Hello, Hal. Hi. Uh, so for people that haven't been following this story, uh, explain to people how it began. It began with a police shooting of a black man. Yeah. Now, I mean, a lot of the details aren't confirmed yet, but there seemed to be some kind of a like a domestic incident. There are suggestions that Jacob Blake, the man who was shot, had actually intervened to try and stop what was going on there. But at some point he is uh, confronted by police. And and I don't know exactly what happened, but as he was mm-hmm. trying to enter his SUV, he is shot at close range in the back. At least that's what the, the some of the video seems to suggest. Right. Uh, multiple times, like seven times, maybe eight times at close mm-hmm. range. And so with video, and this often requires video for the country to kind of be seized of these moments, um, it has obviously resonated across the country. And so you saw, as you mentioned, in that report that there were uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin last night, there was uh, more unrest. There were fires. There was defiance of a curfew all in the name of, of Jacob Blake. And today we've seen more protests spreading across the country uh, as they did after the death of George Floyd. Yeah, I don't think this shooting has received as much attention uh, as George Floyd, uh, that situation received, but we'll see. It's it's early on, and we're certainly seeing some reaction now, especially it, it seems to be getting traction. And I know officials uh, in Kenosha are saying, listen, hold on, um, let's wait and, and find out what an investigation determines here, because we do have the video, which is shocking. I don't think that passes judgment on any part of it. It's shocking video. The man was 
did does appear to be shot in the back several times. Um, but this comes, Eric, at a time when President Trump and the Republicans are holding their national convention. And this is one of the big issues that Americans will be choosing their president based on race relations. No, that's right. And uh, and it was the Democrats last week and, uh, and it was the Republicans starting this week. And I think both of them had a message around race and justice and uh, and police conduct. But with this incident happening, it has put that right into the, you know, sort of the front window for both parties. Uh, last week, the Democrats were saying we need to address race, that uh, there is, no, as uh, Kamala Harris, the vice presidential nominee said, there is no vaccine for racism. And so they wish to kind of go forward addressing these historic wrongs where blacks have been targeted in the ways that they have. But with the Republican convention last night, it was like 180 degrees, a different message. Uh, Nikki Haley, who's one of the more valuable surrogates for, uh, for Trump said, America is not a racist country. And Kimberly Guilfoyle, uh, another spokesperson for the Trump campaign said, you know, these rioters can't be allowed to destroy our cities. There's uh, the, the Republicans are painting this kind of dark future, they're saying, uh, under Joe Biden if he's elected, which is interesting because it's obviously some of what's happening right now is, is on uh, Donald Trump's watch. Yeah, uh, Americans really do have a stark choice to make. It's it's such a different uh, between Biden and the Democrats and Trump and the Republicans. Trump's law and order, um, and and uh, the Democrats and Biden are sort of at the other end. And I think I think I don't know. I think most people fall in the middle somewhere. They appreciate the work that police do, but obviously uh, uh, incidents like George Floyd, and, and we'll wait and see on this one in Kenosha, Wisconsin, but incidents like that can't continue to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there's a there's a, an appetite in America to address the historic racial injustice that has occurred. I think that mm-hmm. we've, we've seen... Uh, evidence of that, that although there have been some violent protests um, or some violence around them uh, during the summer and after the George Floyd and obviously last night, there there is, a, a I think, an increasing appreciation for the need to address that, at least in terms of the majority. But, uh, and I think, you know, in a summer where you've had this increasing awareness around the theme of Black Lives Matter, this police incident yesterday has, or on Sunday, has, has unnerved many Americans, and it just seems shocking that another incident like that could happen during this time. But you're right. It's a very divided uh, America right now. It's not 50-50, I don't think, but, but you don't know who's going to vote in the end. And, uh, and for the moment, I think the, uh, the Republicans are looking at this and saying, these are images that can, we can actually use. Maybe it is on mm-hmm. Trump's watch. But these are images that play to their message of of fear in middle America. Yeah. Eric, are you going to have more on this on Global National tonight at 530? Yes, we will. Excellent. We will be watching. Eric, thanks for your time this afternoon. Okay, I'll take care. Eric Sorensen, Global News Senior National Affairs Correspondent. And again, you can see more uh, with him on this story and, of course, all the news tonight at 5.30 on Global National, followed by Global News Television with Lisa Dutton and Mike Conkin at 6 o'clock and then again at 10 o'clock tonight. And uh, joining us now to talk about heading back to work, uh, Barbara Bowes. Barbara, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Can I qualify for your kitchen? 
Yeah, no, you can't. No, I'm sorry. Well, if you legitimately get through on the phone, yes, I will allow that. You're almost yeah. an employee around here, though, Barbara. You know that we don't want to. We don't want to get in trouble or anything. Yeah, uh, Barbara, I, I, I thought I would throw that out anyway. My kitchen needs yeah. doing so. Oh, anyway, I'm wishing you luck on that one. Thank you. Yes, well, people are about a 1 in 20 chance of winning that, so that's a pretty nice prize. By the way, Barbara is the president of Legacy Bows Group, and we're talking about kids heading back to school, but we wanted to make sure we talked about um, employees heading back to work. And we're starting to see more and more of this, uh, Barbara. What are you hearing uh, out there as an HR person? Um, certainly more and more smaller businesses are returning their employees to work. The large businesses are not. Um, I've certainly found in terms of talking to three or four of the larger uh, businesses in town, corporations in town, they're leaving their employees home until January. Some are trying to bring them back in October. And the other group is saying, hey, you know, this is a great opportunity to uh, reduce our real estate and we're going to look at making this permanent. But the smaller ones, we can't exist without our, having our employees um, back and forth. Even when I look at um, our company, we had employees away from March 13th until mid-July, and then we put them back in on a rotation basis. And so now we're fully staffed up. Um, I'm still the one that's, that's working at home and coming in, in for meetings. But um, employers are being extremely careful and very, you know, very considerate because and and this is what i've really found is people people are really paying attention this is a health issue this is is a pandemic this is a scare we had another person die today and so our ears are picking up even yesterday we we're looking oh my goodness with uh, 72 reported uh, cases do we need to do anything else at work but you know companies have been taking advantage of it to to be creative and i think one example is creating an employee committee and having the employees actually design um, a return to work so you've got signs on the on the door and uh, in our case we've closed our kitchen uh, people are not allowed to cook in the kitchen or eat in the kitchen they have to bring their own food and eat in their offices so i think um, small companies we need people back there are certain jobs that can continue to work at home and companies are being flexible about that but the other issue that's come up and, and will continue to come up, how is the issue of the child care? Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, it's, it's, I was going to kind of excited about it from the point of view, is this the first time that the importance of women working and the importance of daycare to the economy and to work has really been front and center? Any other time, Al, we're complaining, no one's listening. Yeah. And, right. and you know, so that's, that's really one of the pluses, I think, in terms of the of both small and big business. Mm-hmm. Why are why do you think the big businesses are leaving people at home if they're working at home, and the smaller ones are bringing people back if possible? Why is it because the big is it because the big companies tend to have larger offices and they see this as an opportunity maybe to change the way they do business long term? Is that part of it? Well, I think that in most cases the very very large businesses. Um, don't have walk-in customers. They don't rely on walk-in customers. Mm-hmm. So the small business, they do. Like I talked to a retailer, that, a clothing retailer uh, this morning just to try to get a little more up to speed on your program. And they were saying, well, we don't, even even the six feet distances, we don't always have a big crowd of people coming in. They're coming in at one at a time. Um, and so that the volume isn't there to worry about. And the larger businesses, they don't have customers coming in. 
Mm-hmm. So the little ones, we need people there to serve the customers that do walk in, whereas the bigger ones, they can put more and more people home because they don't have walk-in. Banks, yeah, they've got their front people working in, but they've reduced their hours, and now you have to wear a mask, the employees, and the uh, and the compared the guests, rather, the clients. But they're, they've reduced their hours, so, you know, they still need walk-in, but they're assuring that there's safety for all concerned, the employers mm-hmm. and the employees. Yeah. So I, I, even restaurants, so I, I haven't been out very much at all, Hal, but I was in a restaurant on Sunday, and I would say about 30% of the customers were wearing a mask, but every single one of the employees was wearing a mask, mm-hmm. and they were still really hustling, so it wasn't restricting their ability to work at all. Yeah. But that's, a, that's an example of those employees can't work at home. However, you might not know that their finance person might be working at home. Mm-hmm. So there's some, but certainly not nearly as much as if it's a bigger, larger organization. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, first of all, masks. You mentioned masks. Are most companies requiring masks be worn, at, at, or does it, again, depend on the, the situation with the business? I think it depends on the situation on the business. Like you've got Superstore, Walmart, and all of those big retail stores are now demanding right. that you know, you wear it. The universities are, are, are requiring students and employees to wear masks. Uh, it hasn't filtered down to some of the retailers, although one retailer mm-hmm. is speaking to, she wears a mask all the time. Big yeah. sign on the door, wear a mask. So it's spreading like I, the I was thinking. I was thinking more for, you know, when you've got 20 or 30 people in an office setting where you're not necessarily dealing with the public, but you've got people working at computers or in cubicles, situations like that. Are, are organizations and companies like that requiring masks be worn, or are they just doing the physical distancing? Yeah, I think they're just doing the physical distancing, but mm. they are also saying that if you are more comfortable wearing a mask, you have permission to wear a mask. Um, we've got employees at cubicles, so there's divisions. We have employees with offices. Uh, we're not requiring masks, but we have said to our employees that if you're more comfortable wearing a mask to do so, and I think that that's getting to be common practice. Mm-hmm. I do think more and more companies will mandate it, but it depends on the traffic that goes through. Mm-hmm. Just my opinion. Well, yeah, and what if we, well, that's why we have you on, Barbara, because you're you're an expert in your field, and we like to hear your opinion. What um, what have we learned from this real life experiment about working from home? We, we had no choice, right? I mean, it, we have a pandemic, we've got a virus. Go home. We're going to figure it out. What have we learned? How will doing business change going forward? Do you think? To me, the biggest learning was that we're a lot more versatile, creative, and innovative than we ever gave ourselves credit for. Uh, often when you have a new idea, the answer is no uh, before you even explore the options and the alternatives or even give it a try. So I think that that has one, been the biggest, biggest lesson. The second one is that uh, we don't need as much office space as we often think. And so you're going to start to see um, the office space is um, reduced. And in this case, you know, how everybody is equal. So when you're talking about office space, I want a corner office with a, a big fat window and, um, by the way, the water fountain near my office and a fridge in my office. All of those luxuries are gone, are going um, because we, we're getting down to brass tacks and realizing we don't need that. 
And uh, so those are just top three that I see. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, as I said, the childcare awareness, and that's going to spill forward yeah. when people get back to work. And I think the other thing is that it, it, it's just uh, maybe help us to realize how darn important our employees are. We wouldn't have a business if our employees weren't safe and healthy. And I'm not sure that as much credit was given to that over the years as well. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, dig into the child care a little more. So we got kids going back to school September 8th, the younger ones. We've got people heading back to work. How How is that going to work? In Are there some uh, companies that are just not doing child care right now? Or is, is that going to continue and, and go back to normal? Or, or where are we at with that? Well, first of all, because we're still under COVID, corporations are uh, compelled to accommodate uh, parents with children. Um, once once they get back to school, then we'll see, you know, what what happens there. I do know of one large university institution that has uh, set up a committee to actually look at how can they provide in-house childcare uh, in order to get their employees back to work. So again, I think there will be some creativity that's going to come out of this. Um, and of course, we have to get the daycares back as well. So. Mm-hmm. You know what, the most important thing to me from the HR perspective, Hal, is that daycare and child care is now front and center, and we didn't pay very good attention to it over the years. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. I don't have any specific solutions myself, but I know that there's creativity and innovation out there amongst employees and em- employers, and the employer's willingness this time to be more accommodating and more flexible than they've ever been before. Yeah, no choice but to deal with it right. Uh, deal with it now, Barbara. Barbara, thank you very much for this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Have a great day. You too. Barb Bowes, president of Legacy Bowes Group, uh, HR expert telling us and helping us understand the transition back to work, which is happening slowly but surely as we get ready for the kids to go back to school. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.